From Schwartz Media, I'm Ruby Jones. This is 7am. The very idea of a casino was invented with the involvement of the American Mafia. But for decades, we've been reassured that everything at Australian casinos was above board. They're apparently heavily regulated, closely monitored and operated by reputable, publicly traded corporations. What we were told about many casinos in Australia is now unravelling. And we're getting staggering insight into how regulators can be misled and the strange schemes that can flourish when chips and cash are changing hands. Today, senior reporter for the Saturday paper, Rick Morton on exactly what's been happening behind the scenes at the Star Casino. It's Tuesday, September 20. Rick, as we speak, Star Casino in Sydney faces the very real prospect of of being shut down by the state government. Their fate really hangs in the balance, and that is quite an extraordinary position for Star to find itself in, isn't it? So how did it happen? Yeah, so Star Casino is the second largest casino in Australia after Melbourne's Crown. It's Sydney's oldest, and for a long time it was Sydney's only casino. 40,000 people joined in celebrations for Sydney's Star City Casino, along with celebrity guests, superstar Tom Jones in the showroom. And it's kind of like every casino you've ever been to. It's flashy, it's big, it has two gaming floors, three restaurants, and this will become important later, a hotel that is attached to all of those things. Now, to be clear, the Star is not owned by Crown Resorts Limited, uh, which run the other casinos in the capital cities in Australia, and has also been the subject of major investigations over the last 18 months, which have seen it found unsuitable to hold a casino licence in Melbourne and Perth and Sydney, But the star throughout the last few years has kind of used that coverage of the attention being on Crown to lay low, to portray itself as the established, sensible, kind of old-school casino that was above all of these scandals. But really, people haven't been paying attention to the star because of all the controversy at Crown, and it seems like that is no longer the case. In breaking news now, Sydney's Star Casino has been found unsuitable to hold a New South Wales casino licence. Last week, the New South Wales Premier Dominic Perrottet announced that its doors are likely to close in two weeks if it does not comply with a court order to explain why it should not be shut down. Now, the warning comes after Star Entertainment Group was found unsuitable to operate due to a damning inquiry into the, the company led by Adam Bell SC. It found money laundering, fraud, foreign interference and criminal organisations were allowed to infiltrate the casino for years. Management knew about many of these incredibly severe risks and actually not only did nothing but chose to actively deceive authorities when authorities asked questions about this. Right, OK, so we're talking about pretty big allegations here, things like criminal infiltration, money laundering, fraud and not only are we talking about the the existence of these things, we're talking about a cover-up around them. And these these types of allegations, they're, they're similar to what we heard was happening at the other big casino in Australia at Crown, right? So tell me about what the inquiry finds. What other evidence has come to light since that investigation begun? We could talk for days on that alone. Let's talk about fraud and, and this elaborate scheme to allow really moneyed patrons to continue gambling at the star even when they should not have been allowed to get money out. So there's a type of debit card, a China union paid card, that 
essentially the favoured and low-cost option of Chinese nationals to get money out of the country. China cracked down. They don't like people taking money out of China, um, particularly their own citizens, obviously, mm-hmm. because, you know, it's a, it's a capital flight risk, essentially. But these cards allow that uh, through complicated merchant reasons that I won't go into. But what you can't do with any debit card is use it within the gaming zone of a casino under the licence conditions in New South Wales. So there are no ATMs within the gaming floors of the star. And similarly, you can't use a debit card like a China Union Pay card to get cash out and go whack it on the tables. The star found a way around this. And what they were doing essentially, and bearing in mind that these are high net worth individuals who are using this card, they essentially allowed the patrons to swipe the CUP cards at the star's hotel. But in reality, those funds were being used for gambling at the casino, separate zone covered by different license conditions. So between July 2013 and March 2020, CUP cards were used by 1,307 patrons to the value of more than $900 million. So we're talking about almost a billion dollars in cash, most of which was spent on gambling. You know, there was one customer in particular who was spending like millions a day. That patron had never stayed at the hotel when he was swiping his CUP card. So they were just using what they literally in emails called dummy rooms. But there was another issue which the star was very keen to overcome in this particular scheme. Right, okay. So, Rick, it sounds like this is a, a deliberate and concerted effort to to disguise money spent on gambling by pretending that it's being spent on on hotel accommodation instead, which in and of itself is one thing. But what is this other issue that, that came up? The other issue is that when you're a, a, a patron swiping your CUP card, it's a debit card, but it takes 24 to 48 hours, up to two days before that money actually lands in the casino accounts. But of course, if you want to go and gamble and you're swiping your card, you want that money now. And the casino, the star in particular under its license conditions and any casino in New South Wales is forbidden from providing credit for gambling purposes. So... What the star did, again, they knew that this was an issue and that they might actually get pinged by the regulators. So they set up what they called a temporary, uh, quote unquote, temporary check cashing facility, which was basically, you know, they would give the money. It created this artifice of respectability around the whole exchange. But really what was happening was that they were handing out between 10 and $20 million a month to patrons swiping their CUP cards via this temporary check cashing facility so that they could, you know, allow this whole house of cards, forgive the pun, to continue. Now, the process raised alarm bells with the merchant, National Australia Bank, but when NAB raised those same concerns with the STARS management, some of the most high-ranking executives at STAR responded in terms that were, according to the review, false, misleading and unethical. Those executives also, and this is really unfathomable and is systemic throughout this report, the executives did not tell the board about any of this. Right, so high-ranking executives at Star, they're not only aware of what's happening, it sounds like they're, they're actually going out of their way to try and, and hide it from the board, from merchants, from the regulators. So what does that tell you, Brick, about just how entrenched this type of conduct was and, and how much further did it go? It was everywhere and it was at the lowest levels, even though the review doesn't find, you know, that staff at the lowest levels were doing anything particularly wrong, but there was a culture, it said, of not wanting to pass on bad news 
two superiors. You know, if you're a low-level employee, you didn't want to tell your manager, the manager didn't want to tell the director, the director didn't want to tell the CEO, and the CEO, in many cases, definitely did not want to tell the board because all of the problems that they were encountering across the casino and in terms of the arrangements they had to try and skirt regulations was to ensure that profit kept being made. In fact, the review multiple times makes this point that business motivations like profit and revenue were continuously prioritised over actually doing the right thing and avoiding risk. It's not just about the fact that they were lying to the regulator, but they were actually essentially lying to their own shareholders by avoiding dealing with some of these really necessary harsh truths about what it is like to run a casino. But, but get this right, Ruby, like we've talked about the CUP debit cards and like the, the fraud that happened there with trying to disguise money for gambling as hotel transactions, not even the half of it, because then we get into this really murky, murky relationship with the junket operators, the companies who brought the high rollers through the doors on those special, those special junkets uh, at the start. And that's where some pretty, pretty shady stuff goes down. We'll be back after this. Need a reminder of what political leadership looks like? Australia's master of political satire, Jonathan Biggins, is back embodying the iconic Paul Keating, visionary, reformer and rabble-rouser. Due to overwhelming demand, one-man comedy The Gospel According to Paul is returning to the Opera House, on from the 4th to 23rd of June for its final term ever. Secure your tickets now at sydneyoperahouse.com for an unforgettable evening. For longtime editor Winnie Dunn, there were a few rules she followed when writing her debut novel. I really don't subscribe to writing for the sake of, you know, trauma dumping or getting your trauma out. That's what a therapist is for. Please, <laughs> please go see a therapist. We're very pro-therapy on yeah, this. If that's, no, if that's what you're using writing for. I'm Michael Williams, and on this week's very therapeutic episode of Read This, I chat with Winnie Dunn. Listen wherever you get your podcasts. So, Rick, let's talk a bit more about the the so-called high rollers, the people who spend the most money in casinos, flying in often from around the world to spend time in, in particular establishments. Can you tell me exactly how these types of big spenders are were being enticed to, to spend their money at the Star in Sydney? Yeah. I mean, in, in casino terms, they're known as the whales. Um, these are the big, the big money people who spend a lot of cash and lose a lot of cash because they love gambling. And so what happens is casinos, uh, this started in America in the 1960s or 70s, I think, when this casino operator flew all of his rich friends to his casino because he wanted to show it off essentially and they all spent a fortune there. So it became this thing where casinos would enter into rebate arrangements with junket operators. The junkets are third party, they're not casino licensees, but they are semi, respectable is the wrong word, but semi-official businesses that literally will pay for all of the expenses of these gamblers, these high-money individuals. They, you know, first-class flights, hotel expenses, unlimited booze on the flights coming over here, the experience, and they will fly them to the casinos where they had this arrangement. Now, of course, the casino will pay the junket operator a commission and the people flown in by the junket operator who are treated like royalty gamble in the high-roller rooms of these casinos. And this is basically a licence to print money if you're a casino operator. You know, the bloke I was telling you about earlier who was using the CUP cards to gamble, since he started gambling at the star, he put $2.1 billion through that casino. Wow. Yeah, $2.1 billion. 
So this is kind of like the backbone, and in 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 many cases, certainly with the star, it was about a third of total gambling gaming revenue before the pandemic. So this is where we kind of set our scene. Now, on the 30th of June 2017, two junket operators, Sun City and IEK, which is linked um, very closely to Sun City, entered into a rebate agreement with the Star regarding a private VIP room called Salon 95. Now, this agreement included uh, in its original form the use of the word cage in this room, which uh, in casino parlance refers to the tightly controlled space where gambling chips are exchanged for cash or or vice versa, and kind of other tokens or free bet vouchers are handled in this secure facility. Right. Okay. So, Rick, the, the cage, the cage is essentially where where chips and money change hands, and I suppose it would be tightly controlled because there would be large sums of of money going around, and that would, I suppose, make it the place that would be ground zero, if you like, for potential money laundering. Right. Oh yeah. Oh yeah, if you if you wanted to launder some money, uh, getting access to the cage is <laughs> like number one goal on the bucket list. Right, and crucially, mm-hmm. only people with a casino license can operate a cage, i.e., the star. The junket operator definitely cannot operate a cage. That's important because what happened was that to set this up, the the guy in charge of regulation at the star told the regulator that it wasn't going to be a cage; it was just going to be a service desk, you know, where you can you know, get people drinks and, you know, help them out if they've got any questions and things like that. Um, now, that was a lie, um, and he conceded in the review that he misled the regulator. Of course, once they've set this up, Sun City, the junket operator, starts abusing it. Now, on 14th of May 2018, Star Entertainment investigator Andrew McGregor emailed his superiors at the company to ring the alarm about Sun City after he became aware of a $45,000 transaction at Salon 95 and he, he wrote in this email, today's activities with Sun City have been very strange. We have an entity within our four walls which is totally non-compliant to reasonable requests for basic information. And he went on to say, I'm going to call it out early. Sun City is operating a business model under our noses which is problematic for the star with regards to anti-money laundering and counter-terrorism financing laws. Sun City, however, was allowed to continue operating. On 15th of June 2018, CCTV footage appeared to show Sun City staff taking a large amount of cash from a casino cage, entering Salon 95, meeting someone off camera, so in the blind spot of the security cameras, and engaging in covert behaviour on the balcony where they couldn't be seen, which is really, really troubling stuff. Mm. Okay, so not only do junket operators have access to this area that they're just not even supposed to be allowed to to run, they are also perhaps predictably allowing things to happen there that, that shouldn't be allowed to happen. But Rick, where is the the regulator in this as as this happens, as things get more and, and more suspicious? So this is the issue more generally with the regulator. I mean the regulator, a lot of this stuff relies on trust. It, it relies on the casino licensee telling the regulator when there's a problem. And what never happened in the course of this review period, which is from 2016 to 2021, the star not only didn't inform the regulator when things went wrong, but it actively took steps to confuse the regulator, to deceive the regulator, to outright lie to them. Now, when media reports about some city's criminal elements and crown resorts, as in James Packer's crown, began in late July 2019, the casino regulator wrote to the star because it's a casino. These things are common issues. 
and the regulator knew that it had a relationship with the same junket operator, Fun City. Now, Star Entertainment's Group General Counsel, Andrew Power, emailed in response, and this is really important. He said, as for allegations relating that Crown was willfully blind to the criminal activity of key business partners, we remain comfortable that the Star's processes are robust. This is the very same Andrew Power, who was one of the first executives at the Star to know about all of the issues, the litany of issues, with Sun City. Indeed, he had written to the Star's Chief Casino Officer, Greg Hawkins, in May a year earlier, a year before the regulator comes asking, and in that email he said that the junket operator, Sun City, had exposed the Star to an unacceptable level of risk. And despite all of this, the regulator was shooed away. Right, okay. And so, Rick, what can be done here? Because we've got something that's clearly not an isolated problem. We've got multiple casinos that are seeing this kind of entrenched criminal activity. They're clearly unafraid of of the regulator in this space, and the regulator doesn't appear to have been able to, to really stop any of this from happening. So, I mean, should the federal government intervene? What could actually make a difference? This is such a good question, because I love gambling. <laughs> And I've spent a lot of time in casinos, not heaps, like I'm not a roulette player or anything like that. But I've never been one who's kind of like, oh, I don't know why they exist, they should be shut down or anything like that. But then you do a story like this, and I wrote about James Packer and Crown, um, and what Australians have seen with both Crown and the Star is this culture where casino operators are willing to hoodwink regulators by almost any means necessary. Uh, and it's crazy to me, like it, it, it boggles my mind because they are essentially like the Wild West in the sense that they do what they want until they get caught, and even then, they continue to do what they want. I mean, I think it was um, an ABC journalist, um, Dan Ziffo, who pointed out on Twitter recently, the business journal. So we've had all these reviews. We've got had four reviews in 18 months, four different casinos operated by Crown and now the Star. Every single one of those reviews or Royal Commissions has found that the operator of those casinos in Melbourne, Perth, Sydney's Barangaroo and Sydney's Piedmont are unsuitable to hold a casino licence. And in all four locations, a casino is still operating. Mm. What does that tell you? It tells you that there is um, a weird symbiotic relationship between governments and casino operators because the casino pays a lot of money for the privilege of holding one of these licences to the state. That does not explain to me why you would let them get away with blue murder. Mm. And the conduct certainly seems pretty indefensible when you lay it out, Rick. I, I, I was prepared for, like, oh, yeah, that's pretty bad stuff when I was reading this review. Um, it was outrageous. Like, it was truly outrageous. To see everything lined up the way it was, to see what management knew in emails, and, and, and by the way, 13, 15 managers, senior executives resigned like dominoes from, you know, the first moment of this review being held. Within 10 days, the CEO was gone. Uh, so, yeah, it's just it's wild. You can probably tell. I'm a bit worked up about it. Rick, thank you so much for your time. Thanks, Ruby. Sydney Dance Company explodes on stage with Momenta. This world premiere by acclaimed choreographer Raphael Bonicella is unmissable contemporary dance. Strictly limited season from the 28th of May to the 8th of June. Book now at sydneydancecompany.com. Also in the news today, US President Joe Biden has said American troops would defend Taiwan from invasion in an interview with CBS. 
The comments go against long-standing US policy to remain ambiguous on the issue, but Biden has now made several promises to defend the territory. And the senior New South Wales public servant who hired Nationals leader John Barillaro to a controversial New York trade role has been sacked. Amy Brown, the former head of investments New South Wales, has come under intense scrutiny for offering Barillaro the lucrative role after an offer was made and then withdrawn from another candidate. I'm Ruby Jones. This is 7am. See you tomorrow.